All right, good morning, everyone. Great to be here once again. Great to be talking about God's Word and what God wants to speak to us about as a church. Earlier, Bianca mentioned that we're doing our Connect and our membership course. We're doing baptisms. And uh, some of you Riversiders would know this, but uh, we're going to be having a baptism service after our normal church service next week, Sunday. So if you're not too sure how that works, or if you've never been to one, we have a normal service, and then we all make our way down towards the pool, and you'll be able to follow us all down there. And it is just great for every single one of us to witness those who are going through the waters of baptism. So please just maybe give yourself an extra half an hour, 45 minutes to be at church next week. It's just wonderful to be encouraged and to encourage those who are being baptized. But a number of weeks ago, we started a brand new series called The Way of Wisdom. And what this series is allowing us to do is to deep dive the book of Proverbs to look at some of the very practical ways that God is going to be teaching us to live according to His wisdom. He wants us to live well in this world. And so we're going to trust His ways. One of the things that we're learning about wisdom is that it's not as much about what you know. It starts there, but it's about how you live your life. It's about what you do from Monday all the way through to Sunday, not only the amens in a church service, but it's about the choices you make hundreds of times a day. Are you leaning your life towards God's ways and His wisdom, or are you wise in your own eyes? And Proverbs has already warned us about that. So now when it comes to our life, what is the thing that we do most apart from sleeping? <laughs> Facebook, no. Uh, for most of us, it is working. Now, maybe not all of us here have a job. Maybe you wish you had a job. Maybe you're studying and you're working towards having a job. Maybe you're in the kind of winter season of your life and that toil is behind you. Maybe you're a mom at home with the family. Every single one of us, whether we're getting paid for it or not, are working. And I believe God has some wisdom that every single one of us can apply into that part of our lives. Now, I started doing kind of casual work when I was about 16 years old. But the first big casual job that I had, I was working for a, a restaurant a family in the church ran that restaurant, and um, because of that and their relationship to a lot of the young people in the church, it was almost like a rite of passage, that if you were a young adult at our previous church, at some point you would be on staff as a waitron in this restaurant. And what is so cool was that many of them were in the worship team, and I promise you, we had four-part harmony happy birthdays. It was absolutely amazing. And while on one hand, working for friends, working with friends was a lot of fun, man, I found waitering so stressful, possibly one of the most stressful things that I've ever done. I remember one night, we had a huge booking and they assigned me to the booking. They were kind of filled up almost one third of the entire restaurant. And so I had no other tables. I had to give all of my time to this table. 
Um, and man, they just kept me running. I mean, there were 20-something people in there. And just kind of pro tip, if someone asks for a drink next to you and you know you also need a drink, why don't you just order at the same time as that guy? Just saying, all right, let's spread some love around the world here. Okay. Anyway, things went pretty smoothly and I could see that the table was very happy. So I was happy. It came to the end of the evening. Now, this was about 20 years ago and the bill was in like multiple thousands of rand. So I'm kind of doing percentage counting and what tip am I going to get out of this? And I was smiling in my mind. At the end of the evening, the guy who was paying pulls me aside, pulls the manager aside, and I'm like, oh, no, no, what's going to go on here? And he says, I just want to thank you so much. I want to thank you for the food. I want to thank you for the service. And then he looks at me, and he takes a huge wad of cash. That was, you know, those little books you get the bill in? Kind of puts it in my hand, and he says, son, you've earned every cent of this tip. And I'm just going, ka-ching. And because I had no other tables that night, I was probably okay with that, except for the fact of when I counted through that money, I made a total of about five rand fifty that night. And so I ceased being a Christian for the next half an hour or so. But from there, studied, became a geologist, had some ups, had some downs. I'm a pastor, and I have some ups, and I have some downs. But I'm sure if I got every single one of you up here and you described what you spend your life doing, you're going to describe some incredible moments, some incredible highs, and you're probably also going to describe some incredible lows. But here's the thing. God's Word has wisdom for us, even in this part of our lives. And the way God wants us to live wisely in this world, He doesn't separate secular things from sacred things. They are all sacred, including what we do for a job or what we spend our times doing elsewhere. So let's start off. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11, just to start us off. And it says this, Go to the ant. It's summertime, the ants are back. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, and yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest? And poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. All right, first of all, who are these verses addressing? It is addressing someone who can be defined by being a sluggard. Now, I haven't looked into the roots of the word. I don't think it's got anything to do with the word slug, but I think it does apply. If you use your imagination, a sluggard is someone who is lazy. Now, when it comes to God's wisdom concerning work, for the most part, there are two ways that we can move away from God's wisdom. And the one is what the book of Proverbs addresses, which is the lazy person. The person who is going to repeatedly be called a sluggard. The opposite extreme, which Proverbs doesn't address 
as much or as directly is the workaholic. And right from the outset, the solution for laziness is not to go to the opposite extreme, where maybe you work hard, you make a lot of money, you get a lot of power, but you lose your soul or your family or your life along the way. That's not ever the direction Proverbs is wanting to push us into. But for the most part, today, Proverbs is going to address the sluggard. And guys, this is one of those things that if the shoe fits, all right, some of you may feel maybe this is a little bit unfair, but I also think that maybe you, if you're not honestly a sluggard, there are still going to be some incredible encouragements for you today. So let's be aware of that. But the main person being addressed here is a sluggard, and this passage is saying, listen, you lazy person, you snooze 40 times. You wait till your mom or your wife or both have to wake you up in the morning. And then you go through and you have your cereal with way too much sugar in it, and you get to work late, and you spend all your time on social media, and you're counting down the hours and the minutes until you leave. You're lazy, you're liability, you're not doing anything of value. That's who is being addressed here, and it's saying, listen, you think you're so evolved. You think you're greater than all the primates out there. Well, let's look at an ant. It's got a brain smaller than your hair follicle. It doesn't need its mom, its boss to tell it what to do, to put its pants on in the morning, to brush its teeth, get a haircut. And yet it plans. It's able to plan ahead and it's able to do a good job and it's able to make a difference. So don't be the slug. Don't be lazy. Proverbs 18 verses 9 says, One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. What this verse is saying is don't think that laziness is neutral gear. That there are those who build and that there are those who destroy and I'm safely in the middle. What this is saying is if you are lazy, not only will you never build anything, but you are a liability. And you are destroying at some level your family or your business or your future. So if that's the primary warning, we're not going to spend all of our time only looking at these sort of negative verses. Let's look at some of the values that the book of Proverbs is going to try and instill in us. And so that regardless of who we are and what we do, whether we're being paid for it or not, I believe we can add value to this world. And the first value Proverbs wants to talk to us about is character. And guys, this is going to come up time and time again. Don't believe the lie that what you do can be separated from your character. Now, character is quite a broad phrase. But let's kind of narrow the field a little bit. You see, whether or not you are an employer or an employee, whether you have clients or not, you have people, you have teammates, you have colleagues, you have students, you have kids, you have clients, and they're asking you one question, can I trust you? Can I 
trust you? Are you reliable? And the word that Proverbs uses on repeats is the word diligence or conscientiousness, which is a character issue with regards to our work. Proverbs 10 verses 4 talks about this. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Now just press pause. We live in a nation where a huge percentage of us live in poverty. And there is a pervasive lie that everyone who is poor is lazy. That is not what this verse is saying. I know that there are people who are living on the breadline who are probably working twice as hard as most of us. There are many, many reasons why someone may be in poverty. One of them is laziness. And so what this verse is saying is regardless of whether you're blue-collar, white-collar, poor, middle-class, wealthy, if you are lazy, if you're not showing up, if you're not working with character, if you're not diligent, you will always be outperformed by the one who is conscientious and the one who is wise and the one who is trustworthy and the one who is reliable every single time. So one of the ways that we can undermine our character that Proverbs highlights, and I could never have written the script here. It's so amazing. Proverbs 14 verses 23. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Big talkers. Every time you talk to them, they've got a new big idea. They've got amazing plans for their future and how they're going to change the world. And let me tell you this. It is easy to have huge plans and to be big talk. It is very difficult to do something about it. We do this with sports. Man, we watch these pro athletes and we've all got expert opinions about what they should have done. Right? We've just recently had the Olympics, and I saw this meme going around. You might have seen it, saying something along the lines of, yes, let's have all of these, you know, top 10 competitors or whatever the case might be. But for a reference point, they should just get a Steve, just a normal person. Because there's me saying, this is how they should have gotten over the hurdles, and there's me climbing over the hurdles. All right, it's easy to be big talk. But the minute you try and do something, now on one hand, you're in the land of moving the ball forward step by step. You're actually making a difference, but you're also going to find out that it's not as easy as you thought it was. It's not as clear cut and as neat the world doesn't always obey the rules and so you've got to be agile and, and you've got to learn. You're also going to find out that all those armchair critics are going to criticize you and what you're doing and how you should have done better. And so it becomes very difficult to be the one who's doing and to be the one who's showing up and to be the one who is leading 
But that is what the book of Proverbs is calling us to, not simply to be big talkers. I believe that this is a very Christian thing, to show up, do something, to contribute, to lead, and to do it again the next day. Here's another angle on this, Proverbs 28, verses 19. He who works hard, sorry, he who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Now, my kids are nine and 11, and their favorite YouTube channel is a channel called Dude Perfect. Now, if you're a dude, regardless of your age, great YouTube channel. If you've got kids, amazing YouTube channel. But now my kids, basically, if you haven't seen Dude Perfect, what they do, they're a bunch of friends. They have a whole lot of fun. They play a whole lot of games. They do a whole lot of trick shots. And they're one of the biggest channels on YouTube. And so now my kids are like, forget about being a doctor. Forget about getting a degree or a lawyer. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a YouTube star. Now here's the thing. They're 9 and 11. They're allowed to fantasize a little bit. But at some point, we are being foolish by chasing fantasies. By chasing fantasies versus what this next verse brings up. Proverbs 12 verses 11. Similar verse, different ending. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies Lacks judgments. Lacks judgments. I want to say to you, shoot for the stars. Dream big. Make a difference in this world. Find your place and go hard after it. But there's a big difference between someone who does that and someone who is chasing fantasies, and the difference is a value of wisdom, and that is sound judgments. I want to quote some secular research. Do you know, according to so much research recently, especially in the world of neuroscience, what the number one predictor of success is? Some of you would say, well, the number one success, a predictor of success must be IQ. Do you know that the answer is wrong? One of the problems with IQ is that you can't change it. In fact, the older you get, it starts to decrease. You can slow that down. That's the only thing you can do, but you cannot grow your IQ. The number one predictor of success is what they call EQ or emotional intelligence, which I'll talk more about in a second. Emotional intelligence is maybe not a phrase that comes up in the Scriptures, but I want to argue that throughout this verse, throughout the book of Proverbs, throughout the New Testament, we are being called to a certain kind of emotional maturity. Emotional maturity, described here as one who has excellent judgments, is about emotional intelligence, emotional awareness, self-awareness, awareness of my blind spots, what I'm good at, what I'm not so good at, what I can work into, making good judgments, social intelligence. And regardless of your personality, extrovert, introvert, you're working with people and you are skilled at working with others. 
Emotional intelligence is all about being an integrated person. Your mind, your body, your emotions. And this is why the person who chases fantasies lacks emotional intelligence, lacks judgment, because they can't tell the difference. In their mind, it is achievable. And somehow they've lost track with reality. Reminds me of those people who, (laughs) man, I feel so sorry for these guys. But their family and friends let them show up at the idols' auditions. <sighs> and I'm like, seriously? Your friends are cruel to let you do that. So I am 100% convinced. As I said, the Bible doesn't use the phrase emotional intelligence. But I am 100% convinced that mature Christian discipleship, all those three words matter. Mature Christian discipleship is going to develop emotional intelligence in you. Why do I say that? Well, for starters, if we're praying the Lord's Prayer every single day, think about it. What is one of the things you're going to do every single day? You're going to be confessing your sins. What is required to do that? Sure, Lord, here's where I failed. Here's where I'm weak. Here's where I'm fragile. Here's where I'm feeling particularly frail. And what does the Christian gospel give us? Oh, well, you stupid person. No. You bring that to Jesus and you experience grace in that place of weakness. But we lose our blind spots as we confess our sins every single day. And instead of getting shame, we get grace. And if we're in community, we're going to have friends, and Craig is going to speak about this in a a few weeks' time, who are going to speak the truth to us graciously about some of our blind spots. And we're going to be wise to receive that. So ideally, our blind spots are getting smaller and smaller and soaked with grace and forgiveness. In addition, we're saying, God, how have you made me? How can I steward the talents that you've given me? How can I invest in those and put them to work for your kingdom's sake, not only on a Sunday, but also on a Monday? Also, what's going on in my heart, Lord? Search my heart, O God. What's going on in some of these emotions? Oh, wow, this person spoke to me. I was so triggered. I got so angry. Lord, what's going on in my heart? Oh, you know what's really going on? It's not about them. It's about your pride. Oh, I get to confess that to you, God, and find grace. And I get to apologize to that person and build the relationship. I get to also recognize how the positive emotions are going to fuel my passions. And yet at the same time, I'm not going to be ruled by my emotions because I'm being called to have the spirits of power and love and a sound mind and exercise good judgments. And I could go on and on and on. Mature Christian discipleship leads to emotional intelligence. And let me be so bold as to say, if you're lacking in emotional intelligence, you're lacking somewhere in your discipleship. 
But this is how God has designed us living in His world according to His ways, His wisdom. And He wants us to flourish and He wants us to thrive. But this takes work. I had a young guy approach me the other day and he said, hey, Steve, can we go for coffee? Now, as a pastor, when someone says, hey, Steve, can we go for coffee? You don't know what you're getting. Okay. So I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to suspend my judgment, but let's see what this is going to be about. And this was absolutely amazing. He sat me down and after some preliminaries, he said, listen, Stephen, here's what I figured out about myself. I figured out that I've hardened my heart to all my negative experiences, but as a result, I've also hardened my heart emotionally to the good in my life. Help me. And I'm like, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I love that kind of invitation. And so at one point, I kind of painted this picture of emotional maturity, saying this is where we're heading. We're not about getting emotional. We're heading towards emotionally mature. And then I said, but how hard are you willing to work on this? And he says, I'm prepared to work as hard and do whatever it takes. And I'm like, fist pump. For you to grow in these areas, it's going to require work. All right, so that is the value of character. Let's talk about the value of confidence. And what I'm not talking about is looking at yourself in the mirror every single morning saying, you're awesome, you're wonderful, everybody loves you, now go and make a difference. Specifically, I want to ask this question, are you prepared to overcome adversity? You may look around you to the successful people. Here's what we don't see. While on one hand, we see their successes, but we don't see the hard work. We don't see the failures. We don't see the sacrifices, both good and bad, that got them to where they are. We don't see their regrets. Now, yes, you might say, but what about so-and-so? Some YouTube star or some, you know, whatever. There is. There is the 1% of the 1% who life just gave them the silver spoon and life has been easy for them. And if you're that person, you already know it. For the rest of us mere mortals, we are going to be encountering adversity in everything we do. Proverbs 15 verse 19 says, The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Now what this is not saying is that if you're lazy, you have obstacles. If you're wise, there are no obstacles. The difference is the lazy person has the dreams, wants to do something, and at the first sign of difficulty, gives up. The righteous person the person who is hearing God's voice and calling on their lives, they see exactly the same obstacles. But they're willing to persevere. They're willing to overcome adversity in their lives. They're problem solvers. You see, Genesis chapter 2 tells us that work is good. 
For those of you who don't know, Genesis chapter 2 comes before Genesis chapter 3, where sin entered the world. In other words, work existed before sin. Work is not the bad thing. Genesis 3 comes along, and the ground gets cursed as a result of our sin, and so our experience of work is cursed. And so we should not be surprised when we encounter opposition. We should not be surprised when it's hard. We should not be surprised when we fail. And so, guys, here's the thing. I fundamentally believe that it is an act of faith to push against the curse. In other words, it is an act of faith to solve problems, to endure, and to push through adversity. We sing songs like we just did just now about Jesus and what He's accomplished on the cross, and we feel the sense of victory on a Sunday, and we encounter the curse on a Monday, and we're defeated. There is no difference. And so, guys, if we're going to learn to engage adversity and push against adversity, we need to have a bigger picture for why I'm doing what I do. It cannot simply be because you get paid for it. It cannot simply be because here's my Christian things. I really love those things. And here's the necessary evil. You've got to figure out, regardless of what you do, don't just think of the Steve Jobs of the world. Regardless of what you do, you need to figure out how what you do adds value to people around you. And you need to figure that out. And you need to hold on to that. And you need to grow that vision and move in that direction. There's a story that I've shared here before. 1962, John F. Kennedy, he goes into the NASA space station and he sees a guy carrying a broom and he goes up to him and he says, hi, I'm the president. What are you doing? And this guy responds by saying, hey, Mr. President, I'm helping putting people on the moon. Don't downplay what you do. As Christians, we push against the curse by adding value, by serving people. And number three, let's talk about the value of competence. Let's get honest here. What's the first thing you do when you encounter incompetence? Bad service, just a bad encounter with a call center agent or whatever the case might be. I bet that in most cases, the first thing you do is say to yourself, I will never use these people again. And then the second step is tell all your friends not to use those people again. <laughs> but what happens when you have excellent service, when you get a good product? And you, this person is trustworthy and reliable. You say to yourself, I will use them again. And you get all your friends to use them again. Proverbs 20 verses 4 says, 
a sluggard does not plow in season. And so harvest time, he looks but finds nothing. Proverbs 21 verses 5 says, The plans of the diligence lead to profits, as surely as haste leads to poverty. So what does this have to do with competence? You see, whether you're giving a product or a service or you're teaching, or you're loving your kids, they're asking this question, can you help me? And what these verses are talking about is that the lazy person versus the wise person. The lazy person wants everything easy. They never want to work. They never want to plan. And then they're so surprised when nothing goes their way. The wise person plans. Remember the ant? The wise person plans. The wise person prepares. The wise person is willing to sacrifice what they want now for what they're developing in themselves that's going to bear fruit in the future. The wise person is able to have that kind of judgments and that kind of discipline. They're willing to invest. They're willing to sow some seed. You say bye-bye to that seed money when you sow that seed. It is an act of faith. What happens if there's a frost? What happens if there's a drought? Well, I still don't have a choice. I've got to sow that seed. But when it rains, you've got a harvest where the people who didn't, don't. Malcolm Gladwell, he famously worked out that if you want to truly master something, you need to spend 10,000 hours doing that. 10,000 hours. Now, if some of you are saying, Stephen, I don't know if I fully enjoy your preaching. Well, that's okay. I've got 7,000 hours to go. And by the way, I'm going to try and knock off two of them today. Guys, we're wrapping up here. Here is, I believe, the New Testament summary of the book of Proverbs with regards to our work. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know, here's something you know, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, you are rewarded by God for what you do on a Monday. Did you know that? Because it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Imagine we saw everything we did. Moms at home, dads at home with the kids. People who are retired, but there's still things that you're doing in life, trying to move forward, trying to leave a legacy behind. Teachers, bosses, employees. Imagine we embodied what we've heard this morning. That we worked on our character. Not only I'm a nice guy, but I don't need to work hard. No, because of your character, you show up and you bring your best. Imagine we worked on our emotional maturity and our discipleship. And we worked on our relationships. 
with our colleagues and our customers and our clients. Imagine we woke up every morning knowing that today I will probably experience some adversity, but because I worship a God who went through the grave of death and resurrected on the other side, I have His life in me, and so I'm going to confront adversity today with His help. Imagine I became reliable and trustworthy and competent so that I can love people well by serving them well. But I love people well and serve them well because I am ultimately loving and serving Jesus Christ well. Now I know, and I could say this to any room on the planet right now, I know that there are those of you who are hearing this message this morning with a broken heart. Why? Because we are living in tough times. I know that some of you are possibly feeling offended and I just want to say, why don't you rather be convicted? Some of you are saying, Stephen, listen, I've done all of that. I can stand before you and God and I still feel like I'm beating a dead horse. I don't know where to turn and I don't know what to do. And so the last thing I want for some of you this morning is to interpret this not as conviction, but as condemnation. I said two weeks ago that the book of Proverbs is Proverbs, not promises. And that on average, the book of Proverbs deals with what is generally true in God's world. But you and I know that we deal with exceptions every single day. And that's why we go to the book of Ecclesiastes as well, for wisdom. And it's why we go to the book of Job, who was righteous and experienced unfathomable adversity. And we go there for wisdom. And it's not easy to be in that tension. And so I want to pray for you. But I don't want you to be condemned by this. I'm hoping that maybe you're not sitting here feeling convicted, but I'm hoping that you've got some fresh wind in your sails. That the Lord has sparked something in your heart, sparked an idea, sparked some new motivation, sparked an awareness of what you do matters in God's world. So I want to pray for every single one of us. Guys, because we're Christians, our faith shouldn't only make a difference by showing up here on a Sunday, but by showing up in God's kingdom every day of the week. I want to invite you to do that in your workspace. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that your words are wise. There is no way that we can see this simply as these callous demands from a judgmental God. What you're calling us to is saturated with such wisdom. God, I'm convinced that Christian employees can be the best employees and should be. That Christian employers 
should be the greatest gifts to their employees. That Christian teachers and Christian workers should be the greatest gifts to our planet, should offer the greatest service with the greatest character and the greatest love. Thank you that you're inviting us to make a real difference. But Father, I do pray for those who are feeling so helpless around their work situation right now. And I almost don't have words apart from, God, help us. Help us, Lord. If there's something that you need to change in our hearts, speak. Make that clear. God, if you're pruning, I pray that we'll trust this process so that we can show greater fruits. Lord, if you're changing the direction of our lives, I I pray that you will make that clear to us and we can trust you in faith. I pray for opportunities that you provide for us. God, we trust you in this space and I pray that we'd also find you. Our value and our worth is not caught up with what I do, but who I am in Christ. And so even as in the world's eyes, I may seem weak as I look for a job or I look for work. I'm a son and I'm a daughter of the King. And I find my ultimate value in that I can wake up every single morning certain of your love and certain of who I am in you. Father, as you convict us, as you encourage us, as you deposit things in our heart, Lord. I pray that you'd give us the faith and the courage to act with wisdom, meaning to do something about the very thing you've spoken to us about today. We trust you, Lord. We love you, God. And I pray for Riverside. I pray that Joburg is a better place because of Riverside in all of the areas that we permeate. May we shine a light. In your name, amen.